bombshell allegations of political interference by top-level political staffers and even the Prime Minister himself hit Parliament Hill this week. Former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould says she felt there were veiled threats and inappropriate political pressure from people high up in government over prosecution of Quebec firm SNC-Lavalin. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at what was revealed to the committee, how the Prime Minister responded, and what could possibly happen next. Thank you so much, Ms. wilson Both The floor is yours. Well, Gaila Kasla, thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you to the members of the Justice Committee for providing me the opportunity uh, for extended testimony today. I, I very much appreciate it. And starting off, I would like to acknowledge the territory, the ancestral lands of the Algonquin people. For a period of approximately four months between September and December of 2018, I experienced a consistent and sustained effort by many people within the government to seek to politically interfere in the exercise of prosecutorial discretion in my role as the Attorney General of Canada in an inappropriate effort to secure a deferred prosecution agreement with SNC-Lavalin. These events involved 11 people, excluding myself and my political staff, from the Prime Minister's office, the Privy Council office, and the office of the Minister of Finance. This included in-person conversations, telephone calls, emails, and text messages. There were approximately 10 phone calls and 10 meetings specifically about SNC, and I and or my staff were a part of these meetings. Within these conversations, there were expressed statements regarding the necessity of interference in the SNC-Lavalin matter, the potential of consequences, and veiled threats if a DPA was not made available to SNC. Brian Platt covers federal politics for the National Post. So, Brian, Jody Wilson-Raybould wasted no time in scorching the earth at the Justice Committee Wednesday, did she? Right from her opening sentence, it was clear that this was going to be stunning testimony. She wasted, you're right, absolutely no time. Her opening sentence said that she experienced a sustained campaign of pressure from government officials, and she just went right into it from there. I think a lot of people thought that this was going to be a bit of a letdown. That, And this is normally at parliamentary committees. We we get a lot of sort of political games and, and people... Uh, just trying to sort of bury the issue. And it was just astonishing yesterday to have the former attorney general get up and speak the unvarnished truth. As far as we can tell, at least, uh, you know, her side of the story, it was astonishing. Now, as you said, she, she rattled off a pretty detailed list of instances where she felt inappropriate pressure to take action on the SNC-Lavalin file to enter into to ask the director of public prosecutions to enter into uh, what's called, a, is it a deferred prosecution agreement? There's two phrases that get used here. Deferred prosecution agreement is the general category of what we're talking about. And it is a, that's what it gets referred to, I think, especially in the United States and the UK, where they have versions like this. The technical term in Canada is a remediation agreement. That's what we call it. And so it's a way for a company to avoid a conviction in court while still paying a penalty. And it's, it, it's, it's sort of like negotiating a plea bargain. They, they admit wrongdoing. It still allows prosecutors to go after the specific people who are alleged to have committed the crime. 
like you know a company executive or something but it means that the company as a whole can escape a lengthy court trial and crucially in SNC Lavalin's case it would allow SNC Lavalin to avoid a guilty conviction that could see it automatically barred from bidding on federal contracts for 10 years now who was she saying pressured her and how did she say she was pressured so she named 11 individuals I mean, it was basically the senior, the entire senior ranks of government. It is really amazing who she said put pressure on her over the course of four months. And she named 10 meetings and phone calls that, where she alleged that this took place. We're talking all the way up to the prime minister himself, the prime minister's chief of staff, the prime minister's principal secretary, the clerk of the privy council who heads the public service, the finance minister, the finance minister's chief of staff and two more senior aides in the prime minister's office. It really is a who's who of the power players in government. You know, it's hard to, based on how she described what happened, it, is, it was an extraordinary amount of pressure put on her because these are the people who control the government, who these are the most powerful people in government who were constantly pushing on her, according to her side of the story, the way that she put it was they kept saying, we have to find a solution here. Federal prosecutors had decided to go forward with a corruption trial with the criminal charges and not to negotiate a remediation agreement. And all of the, the top, these top people in government were pushing on Jody Wilson-Raybould Wilson to find a solution, to find a way to avoid this criminal trial and get a remediation agreement. Now, what was the concern as she saw it on the part of all of these high-ranking people? Was it a concern about jobs? Was it a concern about business interests in Quebec? What was it that made their pressure inappropriate in her mind? There was two parts of this that she felt crossed the line. The first was that after prosecutors had made their decision, the Federal Prosecution Service, to not pursue a remediation agreement, she or she felt like you know when these in the early stages how she put it the d discussions about jobs are reasonable to have you know to think about the consequences that this could have for the people who work at the company for the people at the community for people who are owed pensions all of this stuff she thought that that was reasonable but once a decision was made that those discussions need to stop so the fact that Though these concerns about jobs were still coming up even after prosecutors had decided not to do this. She felt that that was inappropriate. But where she really felt that the line was crossed and that th this was this was very she, – she called it clearly inappropriate in her view was that electoral concerns were brought up. According to her, the finance minister's office and even the prime minister himself – brought up the Quebec election, which was ongoing in September. And I believe it was October 1st that the election was. So it was ongoing throughout mm -hmm. September that they kept bringing up the Quebec election and that you could not risk having a company headquartered in Montreal leave. They were worried, according to the clerk of the Privy Council, that it could leave for London or, you know, maybe the company gets bought out or it folds. According to Jody Wilson-Raybould, the problem of having a major Quebec company potentially leave Montreal or fold was a huge problem to have during the Quebec election. And so bringing up political concerns like that 
for Jody Wilson-Raybould, that was far, far over the line. And that's where she was really upset over these conversations. So this all happened in September, according to her testimony Wednesday, but she wasn't removed from her post as justice minister and attorney general uh, shuffled into Veterans Affairs until some months later. What happened in the interim? Well, what, what really came out of her testimony was that the there was a time where some of the pressure went quiet sort of uh, in early October, but then it kicked up again in late October. Once the, it's, I think particularly once the company had publicly announced that a remediation agreement had been rejected. It, this carried on right up till Christmas. And there was, hmm. there was a December 5th conversation that she had with Gerald Butts, who was Trudeau's principal secretary at the time. There was a meeting on December 18th between Wilson Raybould's chief of staff and Gerald Butts and Katie Telford, who was Trudeau's chief of staff, in which Butts and Telford were, again, pushing hard to find a solution to this. And there was a crucial phone call on December 19th between Michael Warnick, the clerk, the clerk of the Privy Council, so the guy who is the head public servant in all of Canada, and a, an incredibly powerful position in, in the federal government, had a conversation with Jody Wilson-Raybould where he said, according to her, the prime minister is determined on this file. He's determined to find a way to find a solution. And it is not good for you and the prime minister to be at loggerheads over this. And this is where she said in that phone call, she was had thoughts of the Saturday Night Massacre, an extraordinary reference to Watergate, where U.S. President Richard Nixon fired the special prosecutor who was looking into these allegations. And so by referencing the Saturday Night Massacre, she is saying, I felt like I was going to be removed from my post. That was on mm-hmm. December 19th. We had the Christmas break. We had New Year's. And on January 7th, she received a phone call saying from Justin Trudeau saying, I'm removing you as justice minister. Based on this story that she told, it is extremely hard to escape the conclusion that she was removed as justice minister and attorney general because she refused to do what the prime minister wanted her to do on the SNC-Lavalin file. We'll be right back. On this show, we work with a talented team of journalists from across the country to bring you the biggest stories in Canada. So why wouldn't you want to get every episode right to your smartphone or tablet? So go on, open up your favorite listening app like Apple Podcasts, search for us, and hit subscribe. Never miss an episode. It's an astonishing story. And I'm curious, how did we get here? When this first when this story first broke, the conservatives and the NDP had tried to get the issue brought up at the Justice Committee, and there the liberals who control the committee seemed to stonewall. And you even had one liberal MP calling it a witch hunt. How do we get from that to having Ms. Wilson-Raybould testify Wednesday? It seems that the liberals made a calculation at some point that preventing Jody Wilson-Raybould from speaking was going to make this worse than if they allowed her to speak. And I do wonder if they maybe had not thought that she was going to be as scorching in her testimony as she was. But you can understand it from their perspective that if you don't let her talk, if you don't create a venue for her to talk and you don't waive her from cabinet confidence privilege, 
that this is going to drag on and on. It's not going to go away. It's going to hang over them for months when they're trying to roll out their pre-election budget, which is supposed to happen next month, as they gear up for an election campaign that right now is scheduled to begin uh, in late summer or September. And so I suspect from their perspective, they decided we need to get this out of the way. We need to to put this issue to rest. And that's not going to happen until we let Jody Wilson-Raybould tell her side of the story. Now, as it turned out, her side of the story was extremely damaging to Trudeau and his top staff and the finance minister and the clerk of the Privy Council. Based on what she said yesterday, it's hard to see how this can go away anytime soon. After the story broke, the government on the whole said, we didn't pressure her. First, it was no one in my office directed Ms. Wilson-Raybould to do anything like that. And then there was there was no pressure. And then the comment was there was no inappropriate pressure. And it all culminated with testimony to the committee from the clerk of the Privy Council's office, where he basically said, no, there's nothing like this happened. He raised concern about politicians getting attacked during elections and all sorts of weird tangents. But the line of the government is that this is all this was all fine. There was nothing to see here. What do you suppose the reaction was by the committee when Ms. Wilson-Raybould kind of laid everything bare for them? Wilson-Raybould's testimony was extremely damaging to the credibility of the clerk of the Privy Council, I would say, because he had framed those conversations already and framed them as totally appropriate, as not crossing any lines, and that this was about, you know, considerations to, uh, to the damage of a important company and that it, every conversation was legal. Based on what Wilson Raybould told us, he left a lot out of what was brought up. According to Wilson Raybould, right from September 17th, so the first time that she had a conversation with the prime minister and the clerk when they were in the same room, Electoral considerations were brought up. According to Wilson-Raybould, Justin Trudeau brought that up almost immediately. And the, mm-hmm. the clerk made it sound like that, you know, there was a lot of innuendo here. There was a lot of anonymous allegations that were all false. Well, based on what Wilson-Raybould told us yesterday, if anything, the stuff that was had been out there in, you know, the innuendo was actually, the truth was far worse. When Wilson-Raybould filled in the details of her conversations, it was even worse than we were expecting, at least than I was expecting. And so this, you know, the attempt of, on the government, I think, to try to get out ahead of this by framing the conversations before Wilson-Raybould had a chance to speak has backfired badly because, as it turned out, not, Wilson-Raybould not only told a story that was much worse than the one the government was telling – she also told it in detail, and she has notes. She, she took mm-hmm. notes during all of these meetings. She has a, te- um, a record of text messages that she exchanged with her chief of staff after some of the meetings, including the very crucial meeting on December 18th. You know, she brought receipts, as we say. She can back up her testimony with documented her documented evidence as these conversations were ongoing. Her testimony was very credible. It leaves us with the inescapable conclusion until we hear more that what the clerk of the Privy Council and even how the prime minister himself was framing these conversations was just flat out wrong. Unless they can effectively rebut Wilson-Raybould's testimony, 
it leaves it looking that we were very much misled by the prime minister and the clerk of the Privy Council about what was discussed. Now, obviously, this is a liberal government, so the liberals are the majority on the committee. How did they handle questioning one of their own? It's such a strange situation. The person that they're questioning is a member of their own party who's still in their caucus and who until recently was not only a cabinet minister, but was one of the star cabinet ministers in Justin Trudeau's government. This was the first Indigenous Mm -hmm justice minister and attorney general that Canada has ever had. Jody Wilson-Raybould was front and center in Justin Trudeau's effort to show that his government was different from past governments, that he was empowering women and minorities within his party to take powerful positions within government. I mean, this is somebody who's important to the liberal, the federal liberal party and the government. And so you can't just be attack dogs towards her when she's on committee. So they, the liberals were trying to get some clarity around some of her testimony. They were at times, I think, pretty clearly trying to uh, protect a few of these people. For example, Katie Telford, they wanted to establish that Katie Telford had never specifically talked about SNC-Lavalin with Jody Wilson-Raybould. And, but the most interesting parts of the liberal questioning was when they asked Wilson-Raybould whether she still had confidence in Trudeau as prime minister. And Wilson-Raybould twice refused to answer the question. The first time she said, I had to leave cabinet because I just don't have the confidence to sit around the cabinet table anymore. And the second time, Wilson-Raybould was asked, do you have confidence in the prime minister? She said, I don't see how that's a relevant question. It leaves you wondering how she can possibly stay in the liberal caucus. But if she doesn't Mm -hmm. resign, it means that Trudeau has to kick her out. And I don't think Trudeau wants to do that either. So I, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out in the next few days. Now, you talk about, you know, she may or may not resign from caucus. One of the things that, one of the questions that's been swirling over the last few weeks since this story broke is, well, if she felt that much pressure uh, that she felt was inappropriate, why did she not just resign from cabinet? Was that question addressed during her testimony or her introductory statement? Yes, she was asked that a few times and and largely by the liberals, actually. And she said she felt she was doing her job as attorney general, that she she was standing she was protecting the prosecution service and the independence of the prosecution service. And so I think she felt that it was important for her to stay in that role in order to do that job. I think if if she felt that the pressure had become something she couldn't withstand, then she would have resigned. But she felt, what she told the committee anyways, that she felt she was doing a very important job as attorney general, told her that it was her decision to make. She said that she took his word on that and trusted him that that would be the case. I mean, the thing that caused the break here, the real break, was when she was removed as justice minister and moved to a different cabinet position. And she did tell the committee that if the new justice minister, David Lametti, had entered into a remediation, had directed the prosecution service to enter into a remediation agreement, she would have resigned from cabinet. And so that's when her real protest would have come. But I think until that point, Jody Wilson-Raybould was of the view that, you know, there was pressure being applied, but it was not pressure that the attorney general was was not able to withstand, whether it was her or her successor. After a, quite the stunning afternoon of, of political theater, 
in the Justice Committee. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Montreal held a press conference about uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time. What did he say in response to Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony? The Prime Minister responded to this both last night and actually again this morning when he held another press conference this morning in Quebec. And in both press conferences, he has not responded at all to the detailed allegations that Jody Wilson-Raybould has made. He said he strongly disagrees with her recollection of events and that he feels that no lines were crossed and that he and his staff acted with professionalism. But she went into incredible detail in her testimony about both what he told her and what others had told her, especially about partisan political concerns, such as with the Quebec election. And Trudeau has been asked, did you say those things? Do you agree with what Wilson-Raybould says was discussed in those meetings? He has not answered that question directly. And so, and he has also not answered yet whether Wilson-Raybould will be staying in caucus. He said he needs to review the whole testimony and he'll come to a decision on that. So at least you know, we're about 24 hours now from the committee testimony. We do not have a comprehensive response from Justin Trudeau beyond that he disagrees with her recollection of events. So what happens next year? Like, could uh, Wilson-Raybould appear again before the committee? Are there other witnesses that the committee wants to call to look into this further? Um, And do we expect any other follow in the in the coming days? So in terms of the House of Commons Justice Committee, the key thing is that the Liberals have a majority. So if they want to vote something down, they can vote it down. They are, my understanding is they'll meet in secret, uh, which is is standard operating practice for committees when they consider who to call as witnesses. So they'll meet behind closed doors. I mean, the opposition will certainly be calling now for a large list of witnesses, and they'll have substantial reason to do so. All the people that Jody Wilson-Raybould named in her testimony, I, I'm sure the opposition will say, we need to now hear from these people at the Justice Committee. The question is whether the liberals will let that happen. So we'll find that out soon. I think there'll be um, extraordinary pressure on the liberals if they block any more witnesses from coming, but they might decide that that's a risk they're willing to take. So I guess we'll find out. The NDP are calling for a public inquiry into this, and the conservatives are calling for an RCMP investigation into possible obstruction of justice. It's, I think a public inquiry is not too likely, but that can change as, you know, this is now the story could change quickly. And so it's possible if the pressure really, if the allegations really pile up that an, in, an inquiry needs to be called by the government. So they would have to decide to do that. An mm-hmm. RCMP investigation, obviously, is the, they may not even confirm if it's happening. The RCMP has not always been consistent about whether they'll confirm or not confirm these things. But as of right now, the RCMP is declining comments. So we don't know if there'll be a police investigation. There's two other things that could happen. Uh, We know one of them is happening, which is the ethics commissioner is examining all of this. The ethics commissioner has a narrow-ish mandate and that they're supposed to be looking at whether, you know, a specific examination of whether the conflict of interest code was violated or not. They don't really have broad sweeping powers to look into all the conversations between the attorney general and the prime minister and whether the Shaw cross doctrine, which is that, which says the attorney general should not be politically pressured on prosecutions. It's not 
that's not all really within the ethics commissioner's scope, but maybe the ethics commissioner will decide to expand their scope. We'll see. The other possibility is a Senate investigation. And the Senate's an interesting body now because there's not a government-controlled liberal caucus within the Senate anymore. There are now, it's, it's a bunch of independent senators and a shrinking conservative bloc. And so mm-hmm. it is possible the independent senators, having heard the testimony of Jody Wilson-Raybould, will decide that they need to take a big look into this. And that could be interesting. Yeah, well, I guess there's a lot to watch for over the coming days and, and see how this story unfolds. Brian, thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Special thanks to my guest, Brian Platt. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>